0: Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bevy. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. Hey everyone, Jordan here with the Startup to Scale podcast and super excited to talk with my friend and guest today, Steve Gaither. Steve, we've like known each other for half a decade now or more seen each other through multiple versions of our own career, (laughs) um, and constantly talk everything CPG. And you're one of my favorite people to talk to about it. We've hosted some webinars together. Um, but anyway, I just want to get to, I'd love for you just to give a quick intro of yourself to the audience, what you're up to now and what you love about this space.
1: Yeah, Steve Gaither, uh, branding CPG geek uh, alongside my good friend, Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Currently, I I recently started with uh, Agency 108. It's number one, letter O, uh, and number eight dot agency, uh, performance marketing agency. But I've always been a big fan of branding, creative, using syndicated data, figuring out stories, figuring out Package design, then figuring out channels as they combine with sales agency, as they combine with uh, all these other channels going on, direct to consumer, performance, Amazon, and really tying it all together. So it's not just marketing for the sake of marketing, not marketing for the sake of just winning awards and ego, but all tied into if I'm doing something, am I selling more product? And, and making margins. <laughs>
0: that, that, that's what I love because although you've been kind of in this agency ish world for a long time, like I feel you don't operate as an agency, right? You're not in this siloed area where you just worry about marketing. Like you have a very good perspective of the entire uh, process of starting and running and growing a company from those early days to scale uh, across manufacturing, sales, distribution, marketing, and how those all fit to, together, which I find super valuable.
1: Thanks. Well, I mean, I always talk about this three-legged stool that sort of came. Remember, I was just a marketing geek back in the day. But as I started to learn about food and bed, and as emerging brands and better for your food came around, it really became this three-legged stool between marketing, sales, and operations. And if you have to know all three well, otherwise you'll die. Right. If your branding, if your marketing isn't working hand in hand with sales, you have an efficient spend if you don't know your cogs and in your production with operations etc each of the three legs of the stool need to work hand in hand so you can't operate in a
0: vacuum. So true so what I want to hit on first is we've been talking a lot about this idea of building an omni-channel brand and everyone has a little bit different different definition of what that means so um, especially for those brands who are like having some initial product market fit right they're maybe doing at least 300k in annual revenue how should they start thinking about like what an omnichannel brand is
1: yeah i think the the, the first thing is defining what the hell those channels are because once again I have a lot of friends in the sales agency space and a lot of friends in marketing, a lot of friends doing whatever, just creating common language for people to understand to me is the first step, right? So I look at Omnichannel is four distinct channels, right? There's a couple more you can throw in like food service, et cetera. But in general, you have direct to consumer. So that's your Shopify, building out your Shopify, which is the funnel, uh, getting your tech stack in there, making sure everything is all about getting folks into Klaviyo and feeding the system, getting folks down the funnel. Um, Then you have to drive traffic there, which is performance, but I'll talk about that in a minute. So you have direct to consumer, which is Shopify. Right next to it, you have Amazon and your pure plays. Those behave more like grocery stores that happen to be online. Uh, But instead of trade spend, you have Amazon spend, right? I'm less concerned about driving people to Amazon as I am capturing people in the Amazon grocery store. Then over on the left-hand side, you have brick and mortar, right? That's your Walmarts, your HEBs, your Targets, et cetera. Uh, And I always argue that's the path to 100 million. Uh, The only way you can get there is through brick and mortar. And then right next to it, over the past 18 months, you have this channel. There's probably a million names for it. I call it Click and Brick or retailer.com. So that's your Kroger.coms, your Jewel.coms, your Walmart.coms. And the two parts that I put under click and brick are curbside pickup and delivery. Even though it might be fulfilled by Instacart and ship, the consumer is actually owned by the uh, retailer.com. That to me is the new turf that was a new channel that the pieces parts were there pre-COVID, but uh, we jumped about seven years on the ubiquity scale basically overnight. My mom and dad now use curbside pickup and Instacart and ship, but that's still pulling from the store shelf just like Unify and Kahee uh, and retail. So now if you have these four channels, brick and mortar, click and brick, direct internet or Amazon, when you're floating your performance or you're advertising your digital over the top, Now I want to not just send people to DTC. If I'm a mile and a half away from a Publix uh, and a mile away from a Walmart, I want to give that consumer the choice to either buy my product DTC, maybe buy it on Amazon, but for sure buy it at Walmart or uh, Publix if I'm in its stock. So it's a multi-channel strategy, but knowing how the pieces parts work together. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it totally does. I think where a lot of founders run into some challenge, I think, is when working with a lean team, how do you prioritize those different channels and where to start? And then how do you think about this kind of global marketing spend or performance spend across them? Any thoughts?
1: Yeah. So once again, it it depends on a couple of things, right? It depends on how much money do I have in the bank? It depends on do I have funding behind me? Um, those are sort of big questions, right? So the good thing about Amazon and DTC, they're not cheap, but uh, they they bleed less. <laughs> you know, you can get to 90 days or so after you, after you have your CapEx, which is building out your Shopify and building out your tech stack. On your digital spend, if you're working with somebody that's actually getting return on ad spend, you should be able to start to hit positive ROAS in 90 days or so, right? Versus retail is a six to 18 month play minimum, right? With heavier CapEx and longer working capital. So, the cool thing about Amazon and DTC is that working capital window is a little bit smaller and a little bit shorter. but you can grow Amazon and DTC quickly, but there is a ceiling. It might be a million, it might be two million, but there is a ceiling to where I always argue the hockey stick is always retail. So if I'm an emerging brand and if I'm minimally capitalized, I'm thinking, okay, Amazon, DTC, if I go retail, I want to control my spend. So maybe I just own home and own my region. That might be let's go unify next and let's go fortune fish uh for great lakes let's pop in my a stores with whole foods by working with my foragers let's get my peats maybe get a marianos maybe go up to a Myers, depending on the product but stick in my region to where if sprout says come grow with me your answer should be thank you but not right now Unless you're capitalized, because you're gonna go, you're gonna go into Sprouts, you're gonna give them a case and a half of free fills, your product's not gonna move for the so they're gonna ask you to promote the product you just gave them for free, and then it's not gonna move. And then you're 20K in the hole and you're pulled from the shelf, right? So if you don't have a lot of money, stick stick with your region, support your brand, support it all you can. Don't go with Unify or Kahi proper yet go with Unify Next or go with, ke he has an emerging program or go with like a regional broker or a regional distributor like Fortune Fish and control it to where you get a proof of concept before you move on to a, a multi-regional.
0: I love that. And I know when I was you know first launching with T-Squares, we talked about the same thing. And you know, frankly, what I've experienced myself and I know you've seen a ton of brands is that there's a lot of people launching products that i'll just say like don't have a strong product market fit and they're going to struggle to kind of get there and a lot of founders will you know they hear people talking about like you know you want your velocity um to be you know at least average if not greater than category average to make sure that you're moving enough units um, but a lot of founders get stuck in this trap where they're like, my velocity is not where I want it to be. And let me just like grow some more doors so that I can at least try to get some minimum, you know well, money coming in. but it just kills them. Like you said, when they're doing free fills, they're getting their product out they're promoting and they're just bleeding money.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're so right. I mean, when I talk about brand strategy, I look at four C's, right? I look at the company, figure out what I'm good at, what my strengths are, you know, what I can make, what my capacity capabilities are look in my closet to find out what stuff is happening on the innovation side. When I look at category and competition, I tend to lean towards syndicated. You can do focus groups and you can do surveys all day long. They don't mean crap because people lie. They don't mean to, but they lie, right? Syndicated data wallets cannot lie, right? So people cannot lie with their wallet. They could say they'll eat and drink kale juice all day long, but if they aren't buying it, then they're lying, right? So- when I look at the data, though, I look at it less for creating a new category, right? Creating a new category is a bear, right? Unless you have a zillion dollars, education equals death. People have 1.5 seconds to tell them why they care. So you need to disrupt the shelf. So if, if the rest of color, uh, rest of the products are colorful, think Good Belly, uh, fruit juices, everything's colorful. We went in with a black package that disrupted the shelf. Two, we educated consumers on no one knew what probiotics were at the time. Good belly. Well, I drink it makes my belly feel good. You know, that's simplifying the message. And so that's how you can steal from two categories instead of creating a new one. But then you need to tell the buyer the two things they need to hear. One, if you put this on the shelf, buyer. I'm going to sell more than the other person at higher velocity, or I'm going to bring you higher margins and, or I'm going to bring new people to your shelf. If you can't tell that story, you will not get on shelf to give consumers a chance to pull you off shelf.
0: Right. So true. And I like how you mentioned earlier of like starting with your own DTC, Amazon, and then the regional grocery, because I tell every founder, like you need to prove, get to a product market fit before you start growing and what i love about amazon is it's a fairly unbiased market in terms of like is your product going to sell or not because you have the entire country on, buying on amazon for the most part and there's a um you know one guy i know shannon rody who works in this space on amazon he talks about known product demand and unknown product demand, right? And then Amazon, you can see how many people are searching for products with, you know, probiotic drinks or functional chocolate, like whatever it is. And there'll be a certain demand on those search terms. On the flip side, you know, for new products, you might not know what people are searching for, but it's hard to find. But on Amazon, it's really good to find like what is that known demand for your product and there are people actually looking for it. Is right? the same with grocery stores. Tons of people go into grocery stores looking for very specific things and less so discovery. And that's why I found out the hard way with T Squares like no one went into the grocery store looking for a tea infused energy snack, not even myself right yeah. <laughs> it's like i never went in the store looking for it right there are all these other things but anyway well, like
1: even if you did fun. you'd never find it at the same store twice right because right no when you where to merchandise it right exactly
0: <laughs> we were in we were next to kale chips for our first product right and then we were like kind of by finally got to energy bars it was a whole mess <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: um but yeah I, I i love kind of looking at those but the other thing a, oh, there is
1: a caveat to that though because yeah. um Amazon and the store shelf, while there's some similarities, there's a hell of a difference, right? For example, so I was working with this um, uh, puffed snack company, right? And they were killing it, like in this um, uh, certain protein puffs sort of space. So think indulgent puffs, uh, better for you, higher protein. And they had some other SKUs, like one of them was a baconless seasoning, which is great online because now I'm telling people I've got this. basically porkless pork rinds. And now online, I have this uh, uh, porkless bacon bits. That sounds really great. But when you go to the store shelves, your puffs might be the place to go, high velocity aisles. And now I have a brand block where I could sell multiple SKUs. If I go over to the bacon bits category, you're over there with the seasonings and you're one skew amongst the McCormicks and the Watkins of the world that have these massive brand blocks horrible place to go on a grocery store, but a great products extension or a niche product for Amazon. So not always success on Amazon equals grocery store, right? So, but it could be, hey, here's my product in grocery store. This makes sense. Um, But my product extensions or my endless endless aisle are on Amazon, not necessarily the grocery store.
0: Yeah, I like that distinction. Switching topics a little bit. um, I was recently reading articles about how beyond meat sales are starting to flatline and the like plant-based meat category as a whole is seeing much slower growth. Have you looked into that at all? And what are your thoughts?
1: Well, gosh, it's one of those things. I, I call it the, the craft beer syndrome, right? Um, a lot of people started moving into craft beer because the category was growing so tremendously right? So everybody and their mother now is a craft beer company. The problem was that while the category was growing at 8% clip, the competition was growing at a 300% clip. Same thing is going on with plant-based foods right now. Plant-based foods, according to Spins, is an incredible attribute. The problem is everybody is launching plant-based SKUs, not only emerging brands, middle market brands, as well as the big boys are launching uh, plant-based SKUs now. So once again, the category is growing, but the competition is tripling, right? So you're getting cannibalized by the, by the category you're seeking to go into. So it's, <clears throat> I always play the old Wayne Gretzky, go where the puck is going to be, not to where the puck is. Um, what is the angle that plant-based is the ante to begin the game, but what's the real differentiator tomorrow instead of right now? Because your spins data won't come out for another you know, the data really won't make an impact for 52 weeks forward. So you have to take the data and trends and guess what the next thing is gonna be, right?
0: I like that. In talking about the next thing, um, I've been seeing, I'm actually gonna, I'm doing a new trend piece on uh, the trends I've looked at for 2022. And one of those is CPG companies acting as media companies. You look okay. at places like uh, companies like Midday Squares, uh, Brodo, uh, Dream Pops, who are doing a ton of content that have tangential like relationship to the, the actual uh, products, right? Like Midday Squares launching uh, music videos and Dream Pops is getting into NFTs. Um, what's your thought as a marketer on that way of building a brand?
1: No, it's incredible, but you have to be authentic, right? Um, I go back to um, go back to Tom Shoes, right? So Tom Shoes was the original buy one get one, bringing this do gooder mentality to products in there, and they killed it with, it, and they did well, and they did well, um, and everything was great. The problem was going back to the same thing we just talked about. If everybody does a do-gooder brand, what's your differentiator, right? So everybody came out, they're like, okay, I'm launching a new product. I've got a new thing. Here's my product. Here's my thing. And oh, by the way, what's our cause, <laughs> right? So it's not authentic and it looked, uh, looks manufactured and consumers are smart. They know what's authentic and what's not. You can't necessarily put your finger on it on a piece of paper and a checklist but you know it when you see it and you know when it's fake when you see it too. So just be careful what they did is incredible because it's authentic, but you have to watch out for two things. One, if you're not authentic and you're not taking what they did and taking it to the next level or thinking ahead of where they're at right now, you're gonna be a me tour sort of along the way. Uh, The second thing is too, don't worry about while TikTok and everything are incredible, follow the trends from Facebook and Insta. Facebook and Insta Insta used to be organic. I used to get a post. I I took Dish Network from 40,000 fans to 4.5 million and got 10X ROI on organic. Fast forward today, those days are over. It's all about paid because Facebook said, okay, you have fans, you have engagement, Okay. Now, in order to reach those fans, a couple of years later, you need to pay to reach those fans. Then, fast forward today, they say you have two different ad buckets. You can either get fans and engagement, or you can get ROAS. You pick. I'm going to go with ROAS now, so I could do just as well with 5,000 fans as I can almost with 5 million. So TikTok isn't there. They just opened up their ad platform, etc. Follow the. uh, the precedent set by the other folks, you constantly have to be looking at the next TikTok and, and putting all those calories. And by the time the users get it, and you're finally getting your, your mass output. Chances are it's going to turn into a paid vehicle and you have to go find the next one. Right. So you just be careful. Right. Yeah.
0: I, I think you're totally right. You have to be authentic. And as with any marketing or media or cause that you do, it has to come from like your core and what your brand is. Otherwise one, like you won't sustain it, right? If you don't care about it really, then you won't keep doing it. Um, and then also your your customers will know. The last thing I want to hit on real quick is your thoughts on the Gen Z style visual language that you're seeing in a lot of marketing, which I kind of hearken back to like a meta version of the 90s, right? Like I saw someone's logos, like an old Sega Genesis logo, font with you know it's really pixelated but it's with their name on there and just want to get your thoughts on that.
1: I love that too because you you one I always watch out with Gen Z because same people said the same thing with millennials you have to watch out who has the wallet right the wallet is still attained by most grocery from the 25 to 55 year old conscientious consumer female not saying don't go after Gen Z and before but they don't have the wallets quite yet. You have to invest with them, but you still, so the reason I like sort of the, the retro of of multiple generations is you're hitting a couple birds with one rock, right? Um, A a friend of ours, you know, that did the old Dorman IP play um, was pretty unique because he could take something that is new and fresh to a new generation like Gen Z while an older generation remembers the zip code of it, even though they don't remember the house, it's a sort of a good way to get a dual lens marketing to hit an older demographic and a younger demographic at the same time, if done right, so...
0: Yeah, I think there is there's lots of opportunities there. It's just really interesting how and I think it's a good thing just to see this like new freshness that's going on in the space. And you see it every every couple of years where it went from like Instagram feeds being all these like pastel picture perfect um photos and videos to now being like you know more UGC style like just filmed in your kitchen kind of videos <laughs> with people interrupting you and that feels more like uh more more yeah. real. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. Steve, thanks so much for being on today. Always love our conversations.
1: All right. Have at it. I'll see you, brother. Be good.